You're listening to The Real Witches of the End Times, transmissions straight from the underworld. Witches, Blood Wizards, Underworld Accountants, and Cloud People. Welcome back to the Real Witches of the End Times. I have with me Marco Visconti, who I met again. You know, the beginning of this podcast is when I start to describe how synchronistically and strange I meet all of my guests. And so this one, uh, Marco, for this interview, I went to PhenomenaCon, which was an online paranormal conference put on by Greg and Dana Newkirk. And I watched his lecture. Um, on the Star Sapphire um, ritual. And I was like, wow, I would love to talk to Marco. And afterwards, I emailed him. And then he proceeded to tell me that he'd already listened to my interview with Tyler and was starting to binge my podcast. And so what a wonderful, like, wow, like we just, <laughs> we already knew that we needed to talk to each other. Pretty much. And you also live in Glastonbury, which is something I talked about on that interview with Tyler as well. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, I moved to Glastonbury four months ago, actually. You know, as soon as it was possible to uh, to roam the country once again, I packed, me and my partner, we packed all our stuff and we came here because we were living in London, central London, and London is, uh, is not what it used to be. Let's put it like that. I guess every big city is not really what it used to be. And maybe for the best, because I don't know, it was maybe wasn't really sustainable, right? Uh, yeah. But yeah, we, we felt that uh, we need a little bit of time. It's been it's, it's been a rough year for everyone, um, especially for us for many reasons. You know, like personal, family tragedies, pretty much. And uh, and and it was like you no, know, we. I mean, I, I love Glastonbury. Um, I think everybody who's interested in in the occult, in magic, and witchcraft. I've heard of Glastonbury in the UK at least once because it's apparently, you know, this, the portal to the to the other world. And mm-hmm. I always came here over the summers uh, since I moved. To, I mean, I'm originally from Rome, Italy, but and I lived all over. I lived all over the world really because I've, I've been a professional musician most of my life. And then seven years ago, I um, basically I decided to move to London, uh, leave my music career behind, and I became a book trader and an, an esoteric book trader at Treadwells in London, and which is one of the biggest in the world. And if you never visited, you definitely should. But you know, like coming here, I was like I always visited Glastonbury in the summer because that's that's what you do really. It's such a strange, magical place. So. It was a no-brainer, really, at some point to say, you know what, we need, we want to leave London, but let's go somewhere that it's completely different, Glastonbury, and here I am. That's that's so fascinating. Like I, I live to, I'm, I'm sorry, I moved to the UK. Just you kind of just get these feelings. You need to go places, mm-hmm. and that was how I ended up in Bristol. That was also how I ended up in Glastonbury, wandering around. And it's so interesting. Whenever I would mention to anyone who lived in my flat. Or other people that I'd met and be like, oh, I went to Glastonbury. Their immediate assumption was, oh, they mean the music festival? Yeah, I guess everybody knows Glastonbury because of the festival. But many, not many people know that the Glastonbury festival doesn't happen here. I mean, of course you do because you've been here. It happens mm-hmm. in, in um, a Worthy Farm in Pilton, which is, I mean, it's, it's only five kilometers away from here. But it's it's definitely not the, the little quirky town where I am right oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> 
so you are a thalamite or I, I don't know much about it. So I'm probably going to mess up the specific terms and everything, but I was so interested in your lecture because if those listening haven't watched Hellier yet, there is a real, a huge significance to it. Cause you, you talked to me off mic about your experience and can you give us a little bit of a, of a brief introduction for those who are not sure what Thelma is? Yeah. Thank you. Right. Uh, let's see if I can. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thelma, thelma is a Greek word that means will, and it is um, also the, the name of, um, let's say, a magical current, a magical tradition that was uh, channeled and, you know, opened by the notorious Aleister Crowley in 1904 with the reception of the Book of the Law, or rather, like, you know, the new Book of the Law, because, you know, if you think of, of the term Book of the Law, many people would think of, you know, the Torah or the Bible, Crowley being Crowley, that is like a, a narcissist and an egomaniac, <laughs> uh, he obviously thought, oh, I received the new book of the law. And the reality there is that there's a lot of interesting things written in that book and in the other holy books of Telema. So pretty much it's a magical system, a magical current uh, that can be understood also as a magical philosophy. It can be understood as a religion if you want to. Pretty much, it's, it tells you that in this new eon, in this new uh, age of humanity, the we don't have we don't have basically to to wait for someone else to save us. We don't have to to wait, you know, for Christ to redeem us or anything like that. It's down to us to discover our true will. Then that means our purpose and role into this incarnation and to do so. And by doing so, we would um, unlock the divine potential in each of us. That's as a, you know, soundbite. <laughs> then I can talk <laughs> five hours if you want to, but maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe it's uh, it's better to keep it like this. Um, and maybe it's simply important to say that since you mentioned Hellier, and that's how we ended up, you know, meeting each other. Hell, in Hellier, something happened, and that's what, you know, what caught my attention, um, because I, I really don't have a background in, you know, paranormal investigators, or, you know, ghost TV. I never watched any of that because I was on tour uh, getting drunk. That's not good. <laughs> but what happened there is that, you know, I was, a friend of mine told me, oh, you, you got to watch this thing, even if it's not your thing, you got to watch it. And then I realized that what, you know, Greg and Dana and Tyler and Connor and Carl ended up, you know, discovering it is pretty much Telema at play in the real world. A, a worldwide initiation trying to, you know, push this message out. And, um, and, that's, and that's happening right now. So that's why it's so, it's so exciting because, you know, you read about magic and you think these things never happen. Uh, and then maybe, I don't know, you watch you know, magical shows on TV I mean, you know, from Harry Potter onwards and you think, ah, that thing do not happen in the real world. They do. Uh, <laughs> it's just that maybe they're... You know, they're less flashy than people expect, uh, but they definitely do. <laughs> and and Hellier is, uh, you know, in, in the show, they say Hellier is a symptom. It's a symptom of magic at work. Definitely. Yeah. I was I was joking with Tyler the other day. I was, I, it was after the debates in the U.S. with uh, the uh -huh. presidential debate. I was like, I like the Hellier ritual a lot better than that one. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh my, I mean, like, I don't know what's happening in the U.S. right now. I really, really hope that... I don't know either. <laughs> I really, really hope, because yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in the U.S., 
um, had several important relationships in the U.S. So, you know, like I used to go there a lot and I haven't in four, five years, four years, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I really hope that after November I can I can start thinking of coming back because I, I miss a lot of my friends and you know there's this thing you know with Tyler with the, and and Greg and Dana hey let's do Hellier Three right yeah <laughs> like, for sure so. I like the joke that's happening that we're all in Hellier Three because people keep asking them when it's coming out and they're like you're in it right now this is it this is Hellier Three. I definitely I definitely agree with that I mean this is what I meant the concept of you know this this worldwide initiation being broadcasted, being televised, which it is the nature of Telema. Telema wants, like the concept of Telema, like the, the philosophy of Telema is that every man and every woman is a star. Each one of us has the potential to reach initiation, to reach enlightenment, to you know unlock that divine spark in, in each of us. And... Uh, I mean, we have now the the technology to reach everyone, really, you know, through the internet, through the fact mm-hmm. that you know, a show like Hellier that would have never been, um, you know, taken by any network, they were able to to do it professionally. Which, by the way, it's like the the photography of Hellier is something beyond. I mean, it's so, oh, it looks, it's so it beautiful, looks so good, right? And, and the music. It looks amazing, and uh, and and they were able, you know, to pitch it to YouTube and then Amazon Prime and reach a worldwide audience. I mean, that's that's magic again. I mean, that's proper magic, you know. Totally. So in 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 the phenomenon interview, right? I say that you know in Hellier they received this message, which is use the numbers, mm-hmm. uh, and and they go and they, what always fascinated to me that then when I spoke with Greg at length, like he told me, like they had no background in magic or you know traditional magic, ceremonial magic, dilemma. So they were actually investigating with very you know with with how you would do like so use the numbers you know try to fit the cipher, try to fit to the code whatever these numbers are. But as I was saying at PhenomenCon, like when I saw that, because for for people that are listening in Hellier. You know, it's use the number and then there's a space and then S. Yeah. For me, it was immediately clear because, again, I spent 25 years doing this. Like, oh, it's use the number S because S, you know, it's a it's a specific letter that that amount to many different things that unlock everything that then brings to the star sapphire. But even more so because the letter S in Hebrew, it's Samek. Samek means a prop. Like a balloon is a prop, and its color it's blue. So you know what? When you see these things <laughs> happening, it's like, okay, wait a second, <laughs> this is really happening, right? How? how yeah. So if you see a blue balloon, you are into hellier. You've been initiated. That's the reality. Of that. <laughs> that's definitely what it feels like. My whole life has honestly changed, and that sounds so cheesy, but that's like what I felt after I watched the first season. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. I just got put through something. And then after the second season, even more, it was like, yeah, like this is, I was definitely open to these ideas before, but now it's just been planted in my brain. And if you see, if you look online, I mean, how how many people decided to take up magic or at least, you know, accept the possibility of magic. I always say that it's important to keep uh, like a skeptical mind. And I say this, as I say, as somebody who's been, I mean, I'm in my 40s now. I've been doing this since I was a teenager, right? So for me, me, it's like living and breathing it. 
But I would always say like it's good to keep a skeptical mind and uh, always like no, not so much doubt yourself, but don't believe yourself too much because you, you keep a little bit of distance. If not, you end up believing everything, right? Blindly. Yeah. But when so many people like me and you, right? And then so many others, you know, have been, have been seeing that and they went down their own rabbit holes and they're all making their own their own strides. They're all going in places. Uh, that's that's initiation on a worldwide scale, and uh, that's pre- I think I think that's precisely what this world needs right now, because we do need I feel at least we do need uh, as a collective like a bit of a a bit of a shake up. <laughs> like yeah. we, we haven't been in a great spot for the last few years. I feel definitely, and that leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is because the way that you talk about Thelema and your experience in a magical order seem to be very different experiences. And Mm -hmm. also you mentioned too, like Crowley being a narcissist. And if you talk to lots of magical practitioners or scholars or whatever, like in, in this field, they'll have typically a similar perspective on his like actual character as opposed Mm -hmm. to his teachings and everything like that. Are you comfortable talking about that? Of course, of course, of course. Okay. So your experience with the the OTO and all of that, I'm just curious because the way you're describing Thelema is different than seems to be your experience in this specific order. Um, Absolutely. So let let me, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, Like I said, I discovered Crowley, by reading a comic book when I was 12, in the summer of 1990, so it's 30 years ago now. And I was fascinated by the character immediately, especially because, you know, again, I was born in Rome, um, something that I always say and people laugh. I was, you know, baptized by the Pope in St. Peter's Basilica, so you can imagine what my family is, pretty much. Kind of, (laughs) exactly. Uh, And and for those of you listening, uh, yeah, you can ask to be to for your son or daughter to be baptized by the Pope, and uh, usually it never happens, but it can happen. You can, everybody can ask, pretty much. Let's put it like that. Uh, So you know, my family was not like heavily Catholic, but it had it had those kind of connections, and uh, and in Italy, it's imagine like you know, growing in Italy in the eighties and the nineties. You really didn't have much, many more choices. Like it was just like there was no either. Either you belonged to that mold, or you were, you know, an outsider. And I was definitely an outsider. And of course, you know, you know, in my early teens, I I find Crowley and I'm like, oh wow, this is the perfect iconoclast. This polymath that goes against the grain and even creates his own religion. That's that's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, I. Ended up, you know, that was like five years later, I turned 18 and I become initiated into not the OTO, in the AA, which is the Argentum Astrum, or that's one of the name of it. And it's basically, let's say, the more magically oriented order that Crowley uh, founded, whereby the OTO is mo- the more Masonic oriented. These are these two terms are different. If there's, there's a flavor to it, let's put it like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, and and also I tried to I, I tried to join the OTO as well because I was like those are the two uh, um, organizations that Crowley left behind I want to belong to both of them, and my first connections with the OTO in Italy is terrible. Like uh, uh, it turned out that the people that were running it were a bunch of heroin addicts that with with fascist connections, and I was like I don't want to have anything like that. I mean, <laughs> like yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like I've always been very, very clear in my politics. I don't know if I am a leftist, but I'm definitely not a fascist. That's what it is. 
and and I'm actually severely antifa, like militantly anti-fascist. Always been all my life, and I will always be like this. Uh, so you know, like I I I, I leave that that experience behind. I think you know, like the other is not going to be for me. I, I'm fine. I'm going to do the other thing, and I do, and I did the other thing for many many years, till in the early 2010s. You know, dude, after my mother died out of sudden and after basically I had to park my music career to stay at home with my father that was very ill as well. And then thankfully he recovered. I was in a bit of a shitty period of my life, as you can imagine. You know, like I'm suddenly I'm in my early 30s. Uh, I've been I've been on tour for 10 years. Uh, I don't know anything else. And out of sudden I have to pretty much face reality you know when when things happen like when you have this big death in your family you have to to stop and reconsider yeah and that was a moment where some of some friends of mine uh, that at the time i consider very close friends um they were members of the oto and they came to me and say you know marco i mean you've been a telemite for already like you know 15 years at this point even more and just just give the oto another chance you know like the people have changed it's better now and I do, and it's true. I mean, at least at first, I think that it really feels like, you know, there were there were new people, let's say a new generation, um, and everything felt better. And I, I really needed a family at that point. You know, I um, some people have read the articles that I put up that I am actually putting, you know, I'm, those are going to be the backbone of the book that I'm writing. Um, some people wrote those articles like, oh, you know, joke on you, you, you basically got, got fucked by you knew that it was going to be bad right why did you go it you're an idiot and it's like okay maybe it's true but i was in a very vulnerable place at the time um and i was like you know what well, maybe i do need a family uh let's try and and as i always do you know i i throw myself into it and <laughs> i can uh, relate and I, you know like i go into it full full blazing you know blazing guns and of course you know i, I have i'm not like a newbie uh, I have already like a long understanding of, of the of the current of the of how what dilemma is. So I pretty much also you know rise to the grades because this this these magical orders are hierarchical and they are you know the the instruction is divided into various grades uh, that you take. It's pretty much like going to school if you want or to the university. I don't know whatever analogy works best. But, you know, like I go into it and I race to the grades and then I move to London where I become treasurer of the lodge here in London. Ameth Lodge is one of the biggest lodge in the world. We had shy of like 100 people in and I was the one managing the money, which we're not, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, the hundreds of thousands that people think these groups command, but it was healthy. Let's put it like that. Um and for the long, for for good six years, seven years, I am I am pretty much the poster boy, you know. Like I am recruiting people into the order. I am um, you know officiating the rites every month uh, or every two weeks in case of rites of initiation, and uh, and I'm living it pretty much. That does become my second family, and then things come crashing down when pretty much I realize that. There is a huge, um, I say, huge culture of silencing of sexual abuse, and I know this because, like, of one of the of my sisters in the order, came to me and tells me straight away that on the eve of her first degree initiation, she was raped by the the initiator, 
And of course, the situation is very complicated because the guy is in a relationship with two sons, with yeah, the two sons, uh, and they and he and the victim were having an extraconjugal relationship. So it was very like you know this. Uh, gray area, but the rape is rape. There's no gray area in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so what I do, since like I said, I was the poster boy, and I was believing in my new family. I I know that there's a series of um, steps you can take in order to uh, basically put somebody that you know for severe misconduct and expel him. And and I start the procedure, and the procedure goes nowhere. And eventually it turns out that that procedure goes nowhere because these things happen all the time. The victim that I can name because she uh, she, she wrote uh, extensively about it, Georgia, uh, she was not the only one. She was one of three, at least, that we know. But apart from that, this the perpetrator was not the only one. You know, this thing happened again and again and again. And the problem was always that the people at the top they simply don't care. They didn't care. They didn't. They just want things to be hush, hushed down, so that uh, you know they could continue doing nothing really. Because you know, as as the, the illusion shatters, and I am faced with the terrible and horrible reality of what the fuck? Who 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 did I spend the last seven years of my life with? Then then you know. The lights are shining with all the other shortcomings that the, you know this this group was uh, mm-hmm. perpetrating. And to cut a long story long story short, I this is the summer of two thousand eight, so two years two years ago, and I start writing about it. And the wasteland is one piece, and I, I write that piece after resigning, and all my brothers and sisters turn to me like I was. I don't know Hitler himself, wow. and that's when I, and that, yeah exactly and that's when I realized that there were also connections with the alt right people in the United States like this guy called Augustus Sol Invictus which was one of the organizers of the Unite the Rally in Charlottesville in 2017. He was an ex member of OTO, an ex member that was uh, at first really you know really almost hailed as the new. I don't know the new, uh, the new thinker of the, of the group, and then it was eventually cast out because the guy was absolutely mental. I mean, uh, just Google who Augustus Sol Invictus is. He's in. He was in jail up until a month ago. Now he's out of bond. The guy is. The guy is. The guy is dangerous. Like proper dangerous. Like you know, neo-Nazi, sexual abuser, violent fuck. <laughs> so, so just wow. to. And, and and the thing is, nobody cares. Nobody gave a flying fuck about it at all. Uh, and and I was like, no, this is this is not me. And I did have at the time already a little bit of I like I, let's say I have people listen to what I say because I've been into this for so long, and I've been uh, um, I've been promulgating these concepts for a while. I never wrote a book yet. I'm writing the book because you know, it's almost like you have to write a book to to gain even more credibility, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I hate writing, you know, but, I, <laughs> but I have to do it because apparently, in order to gain even more credibility, you have to be a, a a published author, and I already have people that want to publish it. So it's That's like, great. Yeah. 
yeah, it is good. It's, I'm, I'm very lucky about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I start writing it and, uh, and then another year passes. And in 2019, um, I, I wrote more about whatever happened in the intervening year, especially in the fact that people in the OTO tried basically to, um, I say like almost like, you know, dox me. I think that's the term, right? Yeah. Uh, dox me into the 8chan, you know, Pizzagate, Canon groups in order to basically have these people do something serious against me and against, and against Treadwell's books in London, where at the time I was the manager of. And that's where I realized, no, I mean, this is, this is a cult. This is straight up like it's the a textbook out of, I don't know, Scientology, but without the money of Scientology. And maybe I'm lucky because if these people had the money of Scientology, had the resources of Scientology, I would be, I mean, I would be in, in, in actual serious danger. Like this is just, you know, people um, basically writing and death threats, which is bad enough. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to the police and then that was escalating, escalated to the Interpol uh, I re- I realize uh, I realize I, 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 let's say I, I saw a side of life that I never thought I would see, but <laughs> it was interesting to to experience it, and and that was like that's when I when I drew the line. I was like, no, fuck it. I I'm gonna make my um, pretty much my you know my job, my call to to make clear that Telema is nothing of this. Um, unfortunately, the, this behavior and everything related to that stems from people not really understanding or caring about Telema, but caring about emulating Crowley. You know, these are people like, you know, the cult of Crowley. So taking everything that was terrible about Crowley the man, because I will never stop saying, uh, um, if Crowley was still alive, I would not be his friend. Let's put it like that. He goes, the guy was a toxic, uh, toxic narcissist. And uh, I mean, a genius by all means, a polymath by all means, somebody who was able to channel the divine by all means, but also somebody who real legacy is around, I don't know, maybe 2000 people worldwide of which, you know, the people at the top are, basically the worst character you know all the the worst you know uh character flows of crowley are being uh, um you know replicated to the nth level so no i mean that's 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 in a nutshell the the sad story and why i mean i'm still absolutely convinced that the telema has has a lot to to give to people and hellier is an is is the best example because Whatever is happening in Hellier, the kind of uh, phenomena that they're 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 encountering, and all of all of us are encountering, are the kind of telema that brings the, the magic and the, and the wonder back into the world. But there's no crowing in Hellier because you don't, you don't need it. You don't need him. <laughs> yeah. So. That, that that that's I've been rambling a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> no, that that was fascinating. Like I am so glad that I was able to talk to you about this. I think it's just really great to have someone on um, and able to to talk about their experience and acknowledge that they got involved in something more of that type of group, but then still be like, no, but like the 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 reason why I was there, what I was so interested in. 
Thelema, all of this is not that. Let's not conflate it. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater type of thing. No, you know what also is that, um, I mean, we go back in time to, I mean, like even 50 years ago, you had to join a, a group, you had to join an order, you had to join a coven in order to get this kind of information, this mm-hmm. kind of initiation. Now you don't. The age of information, you know, Google. <laughs> With Google, you can get all the secrets of the orders, right? All the instructions, all the, you know, the magical information that was once actually kept secret because it was difficult to reach it, right? You could not reach it. I would say that there's still a lot of value into not just reading this this information, but practicing it and maybe find somebody that you can trust that has gone through the same experiences before that can guide you and say, you know, this is, yeah, you're doing it good here. No, that is wrong, right? Uh, there's definitely a value in that. But unfortunately, my experience in definitely tells me that Every order, every group, every coven tends to become toxic at some point. Like whenever, whenever you have hierarchy and whenever you have, uh, you know, hierarchy tied, not so much to meritocracy, like, you know, you get something and you get to the final degree, like you understand something and then you unlock by yourself the secrets of the final degree. But whenever that process is tied to, uh, basically nepotism, being able to toe the party line and, 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 you know, look the other way when things bad happen, then you will always have this problem. Like it's bound to happen again and again. Um, I have lots of friends that are Wiccans, like tra- you know, British traditional Wiccans. And they tell me that often like the, the smaller the coven, the less the problems they have, the bigger <laughs> the coven, the, the problems happen. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it's difficult for me because you know ha- having gone through pretty much all the degrees initiation rituals, I know they're beautiful. I know they're. I know that sadly a lot of people that are solitary practitioners, you 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 miss something whenever you you don't have that experience. But that experience, but it's more an aesthetic pleasure, right? It's not something that is needed for actual initiation because actual initiation it's it's up and up and in yourself you it's pretty much like you initiate yourself and by you i mean you know what the concept of the holy guardian angel that is like this your divine self that at some point you manifest a union with it and you start listening to what they have to say and often they have to say a lot of interesting things and that's initiation when you left the order and i know Mm -hmm. you talked a lot about people having resistance to you speaking out about everything but the actual process of leaving what was that like? It was very painful. It was very painful because, I mean, what I want to, well, let's see if I, if I can try to convey it, is that for for almost a decade of my life, not so much, let's say seven, seven to eight years, that was my lived experience, right? Um, I would, especially because I was somebody so involved, and somebody involved also in, in, in the organization and running of the, of the lodge itself. Um, my weekends were always busy with OTO events, either in London or across the world or across the country. You know, uh, I had to basically book my weekends 
of the OTO events because I was I was living and breathing that you know and 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 I was doing it because I loved it. Uh, it was it was fulfilling. In time, I came to realize that it was fulfilling because I was. I was pretty much, you know, buying into the cult mentality myself. I was looking the other way and not realizing that, you know, a lot of things were not done properly and a lot of people were not treated correctly. But personally, up until that point, I never, I never um, witnessed something that uh, that for me was morally and ethical reprehensible, like rape, obviously. So I was, I was part of that mentality, and when I step out of it, I had to face the fact that I was a part of a cult and I was being brainwashed by a cult. I mean, this was coming up, uh, this realization came, came, I mean, I left the order on the, on the, on my 40th birthday, you know, I, I'm not a child. <laughs> so, uh, and, I, and I like to believe that I'm not stupid, but in fact, I had to also face the reality that due to, Many reasons. Like I said, it, it started with me um, having to fill a void, you know, the, the loss of my family pretty much and finding another and then realizing that it was convenient. It was something that I always do. And then there was like some bonds, that, of course, strong bonds that, that were formed with some of the members that became some of my best friends. All those people are gone now. And, and, and I was like the moment, the moment, uh, first of all, it took, it took me a good six months to actually say, you know, from discovering the rape situation and then uncovering all the rest, including, you know, the fascists and the Nazis and the connections with, you know, very unsavory characters to just say, no, this is it. I'm out. Six months is a long time. Um, and, and that kind of gives you the idea of the stranglehold the cult mentality has on you. Uh, even if you consider yourself a smart person, and even if you're not a child, <laughs> pretty much. But when when I when I left, it was it was desolate because you know you you spend you spend people all the all the time with other people that you consider your family and you, you especially because you know when you share uh, when you share initiation rituals and uh, you see people at a very vulnerable state and they see you at a very vulnerable state. There's a lot of energy mm-hmm. being exchanged. Uh, and then you realize, so all of that was for nothing because they were not there for me as I was there for them, which is, you know, the idea of the universal brotherhood that all these cults and all these hoarders, uh, you know, portray as a banner. But in fact, everybody was there to pretty much feed this vampiric egregore, this vampiric, uh, you know, thought form that is the cult. And it it took me, like, after that, it took me a good year. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, a good year to just being able to detach and realize that at first, you know, I would say, like, I was, I'm, I'm realizing right now that when I think about it, there were moments when I was still thinking, you know, I don't know, maybe in, in three months' time, um, these people came to their senses and and I can come back and everything's going to be good again. And then, you know, you realize, no, nothing is changing because th- those are not good people. None of them are, are, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody is like a rapist or a, or a Nazi. Some are and are still inside it, but most of them are actually, they're very like, they're dead inside in many ways. Right. 
they 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 prefer looking the other way than doing the right thing because they don't have any almost they don't have any spark in them anymore and i was one of them so you know like this is this was the the shattering realization that i had to cope with and i had to you know integrate at some point and i would say at the same time that magic does give you all the tools to do this Magic works not so much because you can contact Terry Rist or the extraterrestrials or see goblins in a cave, uh, <laughs> which is fun. That's the fun part of magic, you know, <laughs> you know, invoking angels and demons. That's that's the fun part. But the the real the real transformative experience of magic is that it it teaches you how to heal yourself, heal your traumas by virtue of alchemical transmutation. Now, a full disclaimer right here. I was able to do it also with the help of, you know, like um, professionals. Let's put it like that. That is like psychiatrists, mm-hmm. psychologists. Something I want to say, magic, as I say, magic will give you a gateway to healing, but always, always, always use also, you know, uh, approved medicine uh, techniques. <laughs> uh, because... I also I also seen a lot of like um, approach whereby oh no I, you just need magic to heal no that's not that you know I was I was able to find a very supportive partner and I was able to find help I was able you know it, it was pretty much you know dealing with grief like you know dealing with the death of a parent again pretty much mm-hmm. but but also I I was lucky that that I had and I have a series of tools that are magical tools that 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 do facilitate healing uh without them uh and and i see and i've seen you know let's say less experienced magicians or members of, of various orders you know going through the same ordeals and leaving and and taking much longer to recover because maybe they didn't master this or that technique yet but at the same time you know magic it can help you, but it's always important to also realize that from time to time you need external help. You need other people in your life that can support you and then can love you pretty much. Or you can pay them and they can analyze you because it's <laughs> that's also that's also useful, I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I was really fortunate enough to have gone to a therapist when I was in high school, when I was a lot younger. And I remember that was actually, interestingly, my first experience with tarot was my my therapist had mentioned that that's something that she used. And she wasn't telling me to do it because she can't really do that. But uh, that was how I ended up down this path with tarot now too, was actually through getting professional help from a lot of family issues that were happening. And I think a lot of times you see people who try to separate you know even even with what you're talking about too with realizing there was like a lot of fascism and neo-nazis and other other problems happening within the order it's like you can't exactly separate what is going on in the world and spirituality and magic you see that a lot that people try to put some type of divider between the two but that's that that doesn't even logically make sense i mean i'm with you um i see a lot of uh even respected, you know, authors, 
I, I kind of know everybody in the in the in the circle because I mean I guess it comes with the age. <laughs> but there are, I see a lot of like respected authors right now, especially in the United States, saying, "Well, you know, let's not talk about uh, what happens. Let's just concentrate on magic." I'm thinking. What are you saying? Magic is political. Magic is social. Like you cannot, you cannot separate the two. You cannot. It's just that those two things are intrinsically united to me, and yeah. it's important to realize that. I mean, I think that there are people, you know, like there are people that are right and there are people that are wrong. If your if your if your spirituality is about uh, you know, conquering and, and the weak and, uh, you know, just destroying uh, the, the infidels and things like that. I mean, that's that's not good. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> you know? um, which, you know, I get a, lo- a lot of, of flack for saying this because in the Book of the Law, in Liber Alve Legis, which is, you know, the central uh, book of Dilemma, it is divided in three chapters and... Uh, each chapter is a different voice speaking. The first chapter is the goddess Nuit. The second chapter is the god Hadith. And the third chapter is Horus. And Horus is a god of war. And uh, the third chapter is very, very militaristic. And it does speak about stamping the wretched and the weak. But the problem is that, as with every um, received text, as with every tantra, you cannot... you you. If you think that you know you you just read it and you understand it as it is, you are completely misguided. In many ways, that is the double blind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a way whereby you put like a, a magical concept, and then if people you know stop themselves at the at the face value, you can you can understand that they didn't get it pretty much, because you know whenever you 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 go deeper in the study of Telema and you hear the voice of Horus again in Libertadi, for instance. Um, you you see that he speaks of very different kind of weakness or wretchedness, and it's not about you know if you are disabled you should die, which is something that I've heard from Telemites. Uh, and my answer was always fuck you, <laughs> because the reality is that there is there is so much more, and if you stop at the face value, you just miss the point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean like. I, I do believe that magic is intrinsically political and uh, and I do believe that magic is intrinsically social because it is a key to become better and we become better when we be, when we find our harmony with the rest of the world. Sadly, with some people, you cannot find harmony and then maybe something else must be done. I'm also one of those witches that, you know, um, I mean, hexes exist for a reason. <laughs> That's what uh-huh. You know what? It, I agree with it's, you. Uh, um, I, feel, I feel it's also a bit of a spiritual bypassing whenever you say, like, oh, no, like, everything is going to sort it out. Like what we were saying before, right? No, like, just do the work. Just just do your meditation. Just do your, your, your devotions to your god or goddess or whatever you believe in. Everything's going to be fine. Um, I think that, you know, witches, magicians have, by virtue of being who they are, they, we, have uh, almost like a call, and the call is to rectify what's wrong. And I'm rambling again. Sorry about that. No, this is amazing. This is exactly what I what I think, and it's it's really nice to hear someone who can articulate it in a way that is much more like every time I try to explain this to someone, it comes out not as 
I guess like well-formed as I hear it in my head. And so hearing you say it on here, it's like, yes, this is what I've been trying to say for people um, for a while, whenever they ask about hexes or curses and even just like how magic is political. Like you see a lot of stuff here. I live on the West coast of America and there's a lot of protests and things happening and people are always like shocked sometimes to hear that there's people asking about invisibility magic before they go to protests or there's there's a group of witches at the protests who are helping and it's like it's it's all part of it it's all part of what we're going through like as always in history too like a lot of traditions were born out of oppression absolutely i mean think think of voodoo i mean voodoo voodoo is at the at the very uh center of the haitian revolution um, I mean, think of witchcraft itself. Uh, witchcraft was always like a way for the dispossessed to regain some sort of agency over their life. Mm-hmm. Um, Freemasonry, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Freemason as well. Freemasonry used to be, I mean, not anymore. Now it's a glorified dinner club, but in very, <laughs> in very beautiful holds, which, as I said, I am a sucker for aesthetics, unfortunately. <laughs> but the point is that Freemasonry... I mean, Freemasonry, or rather, a way, um, um, a, a type of Freemasonry called Carboneria, uh, they started the Italian Revolution, which which got Italy together. You know, like they made, made the Italian state. So it's always been political. For people to say that it's not political, it's because we've been lucky to live in relatively easy times, especially, I guess, especially you guys in the states. Uh, having been, you know, the hegemonic culture for the, since World War II, and have, and being so, you know, so distant from the rest of the world, it's there's never been so many clashes, cultural clashes, social clashes, economical clashes. Um, so it's easy to forget that it's not just about lighting a candle or honoring the ancestor, which is part of the praxis. It has to be done, mm-hmm. but it's also about using those tools that the spirits tell us and taught, uh, teaches, uh, teach us in order to make the change in the world and stemming the tide of injustice. That's magic. And to me, that's the lemma. Um, of course, you know, lots, I, I'm, I'm saying this, and I also, as I said before, uh, lots of problems is you know, starts with the lemma right now. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to change that you know that connection and we'll see if i'll be successful in a few years after the book because the book is the most important <laughs> thing <laughs> you gotta write a book <laughs> i remember years ago i was on a cruise ship with my family and there was like a schedule of events and there was like a freemason meeting and i didn't even know really what it was at that point and i was like i'm gonna go try to go to this <laughs> <laughs> what so, I, so i showed up it was in this, you mentioned the aesthetics. It was in this old bar on the cruise ship that had like the leather upholstered chairs. And I walk in and the whole room had been cleared for this like Freemason meeting. And there was just no one in there. So I, I just remember that. Cause then I left and then like looked it up and I was like, Oh, this is like a, this is a magical order. I was like, I don't know. I was just. <laughs> you know what? It, it's, um, it's easy to to laugh as we are right now, rightfully so, about Freemasonry because um, since since I mean I would say like the last fifty years really, uh, Freemasonry became 
a glorified dinner club that does charity, right? Now, here in the UK, Freemasonry is very big still. And uh, when it comes to charitable work, Freemasons are the second biggest charity in the country. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of good money raised for good causes, but there's very, very little magic left. At the yeah. same time, if you're interested in the Western Hermetic tradition, the blueprint of, of what you do in, a, in ceremonial magic comes from Freemasonry. We, what you do in a traditional Wiccan rite comes from Freemasonry. What you do in, in a traditional Telemic rite comes from Freemasonry. Golden Dawn comes from Freemasonry. So for me, you know, as, as a lifelong seeker of this weird, uh, weird stuff, for me it was a no-brainer once I moved to London. I was like, okay, I am in, this, I am in the city that started Freemasonry, or at least, you know, uh, organized Freemasonry. And uh, I have the chance to, you know, be initiated and, you know, go to lodge in the most beautiful temple in the world. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and uh, uh, seven years later, now I'm the master of, of the lodge, of my lodge. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I've done my experience. And then maybe now I can move on. Because in the end is that oftentimes it's just going, you know, go to the lodge, open and close, and then go to dinner, which it's, I mean, that's not what I'm there for, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you've mentioned a little bit too throughout this, you mentioned um, angels a couple of times, but that was another thing that we had like an interesting synchronicity about is because I think I mentioned a couple of times in the podcast, like Archangel Azrael as Mm -hmm. kind of being more of my interest. And then also my very um, (laughs) confusing for a lot of people um, thoughts about the hierarchy Mm -hmm. of angels in general Mm -hmm. and Basically, I would love to hear your perception on angels. From what I've read, that's an important part of Thelema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like you mentioned, that you just had a lot of significant experiences with Archangel Azrael over like a long like period of your life. And I'm just so curious about that. All right. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> so, <laughs> and whenever I remember we, we discussed it briefly over email and I was like, okay, that is a synchromystical moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of people completely misunderstand what angels are, uh, and and you yes. mentioned it on one of the previous con- of the previous um, episodes of the podcast. Angel, the term angel. I mean, the name itself comes from Greek angelos. It means a messenger, right? And in many ways, angels are not these, you know, beautiful, nice, sweet uh, creatures, etheric creature that look over you and wants your your good. They are messengers. By and by that, the way I teach, you know, to my students what you know what angels are, they're they're mathematical construct in many ways. They transmit information from the god source to the rest of the universe. And the hierarchy itself is explained in the way that you can think like, like I don't know, uh, an operating system has different programs and some are more important, and some are kernel programs, some are you know browsers. So they're like some more important and less important in order for the operating system to you know operate. And that's what angels are, okay? That's, that's precisely the nature of angels. Now, some of them, because of, um, actually, before moving that, uh, Damien Eccles, which is a fantastic author, you, you all should read him, and uh, uh, he, he just wrote a book on angels called Angels and Archangels, and uh, he is a fantastic, fantastic magic magician. Um, 
he speaks about the fact that everything around us is made of angels. And I go a little bit further and I imagine that, imagine, think of the Matrix, the movie, right? Whenever they see through the Matrix and they see at some point, you know, all, everything is like source of code, that's, those are angels. All of that, we are surrounded by the source of code, the create reality as we perceive it, all of it is angels. So for a magician, in order, in order learning how to invoke, evoke, and uh, command or enter in relationship with this implies becoming a master over reality itself. Because if you can uh, enter in a relationship with the angel, um, I don't know, let's say the angel of Jupiter, you can call prosperity into your life, you can call stability into your life. Etc. 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 I'm I'm not gonna go into specifics because it can be tedious. Now, when it comes to certain angels, the so-called archangels, some of them have become over the years by virtue of accretion. You know, people calling the same angel again and again and again because maybe they're good at what they do. Uh, it's almost like and an, an analogy is that you might have many apps on your phone, but you always use Facebook or you always use Twitter or you always use WhatsApp. You always use few apps on your phone. Those, if they were angels, they would eventually, they create, they developed um, a human-like consciousness. So when it comes to the archangels, the traditional four and the seven planetary ones, and then there's some more, you can start having a, a relationship with them which is similar it's more like human-like, you know, you call them and they answer like with <laughs> you know, and yeah. they, and they, and they could, it, it's not just like transactional, even if with these creatures is always transactional because that's what they are, but they, you can have a, a more, a, a more human-like relationship, as I said. Now, in the case of Intelema, angels have, or rather the concept of the holy guardian angel, HGA, it's very important because the Holy Garden Angel is the realization of, or rather, it's the, the consciousness that at some point, the magician that has balanced the elements and has raised through those um, early stages of um, magical uh, evolution, if you want, at some point, you, um, the magician approaches what is called the solar consciousness and by doing that, they, the magician comes to know the Holy Guardian Angel. That is his own or her own, their own divine selves. Um, the best way I can try and explain this, even if this concept usually are almost impossible to, um, to convey through language, because language is limited, is let's say like the best version of yourself, almost like your superhero self. And... If anybody's listening who's an actual magician, don't cringe too much. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, trying. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it simple. <laughs> but let, imagine that. Imagine that concept, right? Now, each one of us will find their own holy guardian angel. Okay, uh, that that it's a very it's a very unique um, and uh, personal experience in Telema. And I would say in, in a lot of like more advanced magical systems, 
it, there's also a, a, a not so a not so much veiled alleg um, allegory to a sexual union with the angel, or rather that that union is sexual in nature or sensual in nature, because it's really like the kind of feeling, the kind of rapture you feel when you you know unite yourself sexually with your loved one, and by loved one I mean you know capital L loved one. And it's it's a very it's a very ecstatic experience. It's uh, it's something that it has been uh, it has been described much better than I can by poets all, over the course of history. Uh, the the Sufi poet Rumi uh, has some beautiful, 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 beautiful bits on this one, and I really suggest everybody to read Rumi at some point uh, because like his poetry is sublime, and. Pretty much every time he speaks of the lover, that is the rapturous love of the union with the Holy Guardian Angel. Now, what what's you know the, the thing that you know the synchronistical event between me and you is when you were telling me that you had experience with the Archangel Azrael, because the Archangel Azrael, which is the angel of death, is one that came to me when I was very, very young, like in my early teens, uh, to the point that if I started to pursue magic more, it's because, you know, as a young goth in the 90s, I was like, <laughs> the first thing I do, I'm going to call the angel of death. And he came, <laughs> and he came, and he's been with me ever since. Um, to the point that at first, you know, like, if you see, if you look for me and you, I don't know, you go into the, you know, the web archive or whatnot, these things, to, you know, let's see Marco Visconti in uh, 2001. Like I was always named Azrael. Like my DJ name when I was a quite well-known DJ in the industrial uh, scene, it was DJ Azrael. I was like my, all my email accounts or is always Azrael2393. So that, 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 that consciousness has been with me for a long, long time. I thought at first, you know, when I was, you know, before having the, the knowledge and conversation with, the Holy, with my Holy Guardian Angel, at first I thought, okay, that's my Holy Guardian Angel. Then, I mean, that's not the case because Azrael is a consciousness that appears to different people, uh -huh. whereby the, the AGA is always personal, is always unique to yourself. And again, magicians who listen to this and they understand a little bit more what I'm talking about, yes, I'm simplifying things. So, <laughs> because we have limited time. <laughs> but, you know, for me, when whenever you, you spoke of Azra, and you know, Azra is not someone that, someone, see, see I speak of, of, of him or them as, as a friend because he is a friend. And for me, it, I, I see him as a male, as a male figure. Uh, I know that it appears to, to different people in different gender because angels are genderless. Gender doesn't exist in the mm -hmm. angel world, right? But to me, it doesn't. It definitely appears, and I always appeared as a male. So, uh, you know, whenever you told me that you had those experiences, I was like, okay, this is interesting because this is one of those moments where uh, whenever this kind of synchronicity happens, like, you know, my radar was like, okay, I'm, I'm listening. Because Azrael is not very popular anymore, you know? Like, the, in the 90s, it was very, very popular. Like, there's this book by uh, Leila Weddell, which, um, a New Orleans um, author. She passed away recently, I think, actually, a couple, couple of years ago. And she wrote this book, like, Our Name is Melancholy. And basically, it's a long, long book over um, very interesting, like, channeling experience with Azrael. 
And I was like, and that for me was like when when this I think the book came out in '96 or '97, and I remember reading that after having had at least three or three or four years of experience with Azrael already myself, and I was like, this is very interesting to me because she speaks of things that I don't see, but she also speaks of a lot of things that I've seen. So for me, it was like, okay, this is a this is basically a consciousness that exists um, almost like objectively. Right, it's not just like my subjective uh, perception of it. It's, I'm just not. I'm not just making it up because there was mm-hmm. in the book. There's ways where she describes Azrael that were like dead on to things that I was experiencing myself. And then you know, over the years, I met other people and uh, and we shared you know experiences. And I realized, yeah, I mean that's that's the case. It kind of. I think Azrael kind of retreated from the from the limelight in the last few years um and um but uh, maybe it's it's for the for the worst because you know everything everybody is so like we live in a society so afraid of death whereby death is i mean death is why we live we live to die uh because that's the only the only thing that we all of us are certain of like we are not certain if we will be happy or, or sad in our lives, if we'll be rich or poor, if we'll be successful or, you know, not successful. The only thing each of us humans are sure of that we will die. So, uh, you know, it's, it, would, it, would be, it would be good for Azrael to come back more, not as in like, you know, people dying left and right, but for us as a, as a you know, as a species, to become once again more close to the concept of death because it's inevitable and uh, it's important to be aware of what it is. Mm, you know, in Telema, we don't even think that, you know, death is the end in many ways. You know, one of the beautiful, th- the most beautiful things I think of Telema is that, you know, there's a rite where, where you celebrate the greater feast of somebody, which is when somebody dies, you don't mourn them, you rejoice them because they went on to, you know, bigger and more uh, incredible adventure (laughs) yeah that is so interesting and whenever i think of angels in general i I had such an aversion to them especially a couple months ago i i just intrinsic not intrinsically but like i intuitively knew there was something strange about the way that they were being presented to me in terms Mm -hmm. of pop culture and any any like more new age style books that I would read, I just it did not make sense because I just don't like my my own perceptions of what I've experienced in my life just didn't line up with there just being this completely like glowing again for lack of a better term quote unquote angelic beings yeah. that's an adjective that people use with the specific connotation oh but but they're 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 absolutely not that <laughs> yeah they're not that and angels aren't angels <laughs> I, I don't know if you, if you if you watched a movie that came out in 2016 called a dark song um no. if you haven't do it's it's on uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. I mean, it, it's it's you can find it easily, and it's basically a very very. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a movie about some two people trying to do the Abramelian operation, and the Abramelian operation is one of the uh, one of the I don't know the the MVPs of magic, right? Everybody speaks about the Abramelian operation, which is this thing whereby you conjure your holy guardian angel, you conjure the angelic power, and both in the book. 
which comes from the Middle Ages. And um, in, you know, in, in popular culture, uh, the angel that you conjure is this being of pure light and it's, uh, you have to be pure to receive them, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of people thought, oh, that's, you know, that's light magic. That's the, 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 the highest level of you know, theurgy, which is divine magic. Now, what's good about the, the movie, like I said, it's not a perfect movie, but it's worth watching it. It's that without giving too much spoiler, they call the angel and the angel arrive and it's absolutely terrifying. Not because it's a monster, but because it's absolute power. You know, the kind of power that could just like, like you could move badly and be completely obliterated out of existence. Uh, it's nuclear power in many ways. That is what angels are. Uh, it's another thing, you know, whenever this, um, you read the Bible and you say that the Ophanim, which are like the thrones, appear, which in theory are like the, the, some of the highest um, level of the hierarchy of angels. They appear to, to people and the first thing they say is that, be not afraid, because they're <laughs> <laughs> like, like, themselves, right? It's like, oh my God, what is this? And that's, and that's what angels are, you know? Um, I, in my magical career, for the lack of better term, I worked a lot with angels and a lot, I worked a lot, a lot with demons. Angels are scarier, like by far, <laughs> because if angels are like in this pure, almost like, you know, cold, cold, sheer power, demons are more passionate. It's more passionate creatures, right? Passionate consciousness. But I you love can- this. You can reason with them because they want to have good time and you want to have good time and it's fine, right? And yes, yeah, some of them are very scary and some of them are very powerful. But I don't know, there's there's a more earthly, earthly quality to demons than that angels are just, no, <laughs> angels are <laughs> like, you know, it's uh, uh, they're different, different beings, <laughs> so like that. I was reading this book. Well, I am in the middle of reading it. It's called The Exorcist Handbook by Josephine McCarthy. And it was really synchronistic when I got this book because the way that Josephine McCarthy describes angels is a lot more like what you're talking about. She specifically Mm -hmm. says like, angels just are. And there's no like, you can't put them on like a moral scale because that doesn't exist for them. And so when they show up for you, you don't know like why, like you can't just be assumed that it's this again, quote unquote, angelic reason why they always show up. Sure. They can really help you. And that's awesome if you develop that type of relationship, but you can, there's some people that ritual magicians, which she calls idiots in this book could do this to try to bind angels and send them <laughs> after people. <laughs> and then she yeah. talks about an experience she had where she had one of those sent at her. And then she ended up having to, eat the bindings that she could see like and then she was sick physically sick for days and then this angel marked her as a spell eater oh yeah i mean like i said angelic magic is the real deal not to not to you know um put goisha on a on a lower level goisha is the demonic magic one of them but it's just like you know angels are sheer power because again they are the infrastructure of reality as we know it Demons aren't. Demons are the shadow of reality. So in many ways, you know, demons can do other things than from angels, but they are more passionate. They're more, uh, they, have a, they have a much more, I mean, to a degree, cheerful character. Angels are, no, <laughs> angels are really like straight up. They are there to do something, to, te- to tell you something, to teach you something. And um, 
I mean, in the Bible, the, it's the angel that destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, yes, it's, yes. It's, it's uh, I mean, and you read it, it's basically, you read the, the if you read the, the, the description, that's basically a nuclear bomb being detonated. So it's like, yeah, do, you, do I want to bind these creatures? Do I want to, you know, think that this consciousness can do what I want? No. What I usually, I mean, one of the things that I always teach to whoever, you know, students that I have, it's almost like, you know, magic is about building your body of light. That is your external, uh, you can call the aura, you can call like your magical circle. There are many, many terms, but in many ways, like you build this etheric construct around you and different layers of that so that whenever you're finally ready for, for the, when you get into evocation mode, pretty much, that's your, you're not blown away by the magnitude of the sheer power of the consciousness that you call. Because if, you're, if you don't have a body of light, that's where, you know, Josephine McCarthy speaks of idiots. Because, you know, people read, read a book and they do a thing and things happen, then they're blown away. It's like, yeah, yeah. Why would, you, <laughs> why would you do that, right? So in many ways, you know, like this is something as well that I was discussing with, with Greg Newkirk. And it, and it was, I mean, I love the guy and I love how, they are so good at what they're doing and they're so respectful of what they realized they chanced upon that they were like, you know, hell your tree will come out maybe whenever, whenever will, because we are trying to understand and we need to approach this with, uh, with caution. And I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> because, because, you know, there's it, it magic is beautiful. Like, as I said before, magic can and will heal you. And magic can and will show you beautiful vistas that you didn't think possible. Magic can also destroy you. And most of the times, especially in this day and age of, you know, witches of Instagram and witch talk, which by all means, I'm not dissing. We all started somewhere. That's fine. But at the same time, it's also, in a way, dangerous because there's so many more people listening and watching this thing like the reach is so massive right now yeah that there's a there's a lot of people that could you know get burned and you know my grandma used to say you know you grow up by the scars you accrue i was like maybe that's it that's 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 humanity as to to build up some more scars but jesus that's scars <laughs> we've been doing a lot of this <laughs> So this is my angel scar from the time I tried to bind so-and-so. And this is my yeah. demon scar from the time that I thought that I could send this after someone and have no re repercussions myself. Exactly. I'm kidding. I haven't tried to do those things. But. Oh, I have. Oh, trust me, I have. I, I, I was a kid as well. I, mean, I, was, I mean, trust me, when, if you were to look at my magical diary of the last 30 years, the first 15 to 20, you're like, the fuck you're doing? Stop. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> it's like, but eh, I mean, I'm still alive. So there's something there. Like. I guess I've always been really wary of stuff like that from my own life because I've had so many things come to me without me asking that the prospect of seeking it out scares the shit out of me sometimes. Because like, what is it going to be like if I already have this connection? Because there's been times when I have worked with Azriel just casually like I'm, I don't I've never done like a like an intentional ritual to like have them show up because he's just for me has been around 
for a mm-hmm. while. Um, and like I see him because I paint spirit portraits. So when I close my eyes and I look at people, I can sense and like see energies that I can't really verbalize. And so I end up drawing them out. But for me, I, there was always this like really weird mass over my left shoulder that I couldn't figure out what it was for a long time. And then I started to realize, oh, I think that's a what some people might call a glowing ball of eyes. But for me, it's just like this this energy, this energy thing. And one of my housemates ended up talking or talking to what they believed to be Azriel to someone else who was living in the house for a while. And then afterwards they had such a huge headache and they're like, how do you do this all of the time? And then I started to wonder, it's like, have I just desensitized myself for that type of contact from this specific consciousness? I'm wondering if that's something you've experienced or? I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's desensitization. I know that there are people that are more, um, I know they're more prone to, you know, being spiritual, spiritually aware, if you want, right? Medium uh, or channelers, whatever you want to call it, right? Seers, that's what they, they used to be called in the past. Um, it's it's just like, you know, if I were to, uh, you know, to make a diagnosis like this, is that what it's likely is that uh, you or, you know, people that tend to have these experiences tend to have a, a already developed body of light, you know, like an ability to withstand those frequencies and those consciousness better than the average Joe, you know, but all of the, also that can be, can be improved upon, you know, you can, uh, like if you were to, to you know, start doing my, like, you know, start to doing a magical practice, like the, like a ceremonial magical practice, like, you know, start working on your presence, then start working on, you know, the classic pentagram rituals and whatnot. That, and that would definitely, you know, strengthen it even better to the point that maybe you, I don't know, could start seeing them with your eyes and start hearing them with your ears, which can be a bit jarring at times because you know you go around and say, "Oh, who's that?" Ah, okay, that's you. Uh, <laughs> which is like in this house happens a couple of times, and me and my partner's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah, tonight. Tonight we have we have presences. That's fine. It's okay, pretty much." But it's, I mean, at the same time, I, I feel like this is what magic is supposed to be. It is supposed to be a bit over the top, right? Because yeah. if not, if not, what, what is just, if not, it's just like all in our head. Um, something that has, that has been like, that has been happening, I would say, since the, since the 60s, really. And then, you know, with the, um, with the popularization of chaos, chaos magic. Like this idea that magic is just another another kind of psychology, right? Uh, the psychological model of magic. I really don't like it uh, because I spoke with spirits and spirits spoke back to me. I felt energies and I moved energies and I created energy. It's not just in my mind, right? Yeah. It is. It is a model. It is okay to think of spirits, of demons, of angels as your subconscious, your 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 super ego or whatever you know whatever Jungian term you want to uh, to slap on it it's fine because it's good to have a models you can you can wrap your mind around models you can you can think about it but the reality is this and as you know because I mean like I and we discussed it a little bit like these things exist beyond what you think they are <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, they're there they're, they're, as we are here and they and I would say 
like you know what when i speak when i think of like my practice and the things i teach it's always like you, you see the world as a map of reality right like you can map these experiences as uh, psychological constructs you can map these these experiences as gods and goddesses you can map these experiences as i don't know uh, energies whatever you want do all of that like do a week like a psychological model do a week like a spirit model do a week like an energetic model just remember they're just models they exist beyond whatever you whatever little neat box you want to put them in <laughs> they, they exist yeah that's what i loved about tenny's lecture at the end of phenomenon he was like the second that you tell yourself you believe something fully mm-hmm. then you close yourself off to so many things i mean absolutely in fact you know when i first start talking about you know what i think is happening in you know the, the telemic theory of hellier a lot of I, I mean i was writing i was writing this before i start speaking with greg and dana and um, i was writing on reddit and i was writing it you know like this is my theory right and i got so much like hate for that because like oh no you're trying to tell us what to think and i was like folks no i'm just telling you first of all that i mean if if David Christie existed, if Terry Reese existed, they definitely were pushing towards Dilemma. You know, that's Alan Greenfield. Mm-hmm. But this is just a model still. Like, you know, in my in my in my phenomenon call, phenomenon talk, I was I say that, you know, I've been contacting Terry Reese. Just like the last few days, you know, over my Patreon group, we've been doing like a like a ritual to keep contacting this this entity. And we are having um, results. It's like doing the Hestes method, but with magic, pretty much. But it, this is just a model. I'm not saying that I have the answers. I don't think anybody has the answers. That's the phenomena. Like, you know, that is, we're just interfacing with this n-dimensional consciousness, you know, fractalizing itself down to our space-time continuum. And it's bound to look different to me, to you, to Greg and Dana, to Tyler Strand, to people on Reddit, it's <laughs> it, because it's so much bigger than all of us, yeah. And it's it's meant to be complicated. Like something that I, I know that you know the the Hellier crew is struggling with because they their their crew their sorry their audience was at the beginning mostly you know paranormal enthusiasts you know ghost hunter enthusiasts and everybody wanted the goblins. Where where are the goblins? <laughs> you know no goblins are. <laughs> And then I have you know, that shirt too. I have that shirt. It's fantastic. <laughs> and the reality there is that there's goblins everywhere. It's just that maybe they don't look like goblins, but they are because that's the phenomena. That is the the multi, the many faces of the great god Pan. And Pan means all. So it's all around us constantly. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that that's such a great way to put that. Like I. I see everywhere. Just everything reminds me of the green man. But I remember when I went to Glastonbury and I got to my Airbnb and there's just a green man's face above the door. And I was like, wow. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he, here is green man central. Obviously. Oh my gosh. Isn't there a store called the green man? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the, the lady in the green, the goddess in the green man on, in, on ice street. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's also, you know, be, the green man is, it's it's it is pan, and and, and pan is so much more than than you know quote unquote just um, a Greek deity. Pan mm-hmm. is all, and it it is the entirety of the experience of humanity. 
it's a big deal, <laughs> pretty much. And, uh, and it's all around us, all constantly. Um, how, how we interface with PAN, it will, it will depend from person to person. And I don't think that, you know, um, the only way is through the stars of fire. What I'm saying is that if you follow the, the breadcrumbs that they've been following, um, whoever is David Christie, whoever is Terry Rist, is pushing them towards the stars of fire, which is this very complex sex magical rite that allows you to unlock the night of Pan the full consciousness of the divine. So, yeah, Elliot Tree will be, I don't know, PG-18, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> they might have to, to start an OnlyFans for Patreon, or Hellier Tree. It's, it's going to be Hellier Tree OnlyFans edition. <laughs> I mean, OnlyPans? I think I've seen that meme in the group chat, or the group on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, me and Tyler have been low-key making fun on this thing for a while, <laughs> It's like, how how are we going to do this? How are you guys going to do this? (laughs) I mean, honestly, I'm curious because, you know, the Star Sapphire is one of the most advanced rituals in Telema. It's not just sex magic, you know, it's not, and it's not even, you know, as I described in in, in the talk, it's not even like five distinct uh, sex, sex operations with your partner. You and your partner must be very advanced. Uh, you must have a full command of breathing techniques, of you know, control of your body, control of your of the release of your body. Uh, it's it's very long. I mean, it's it's not it's not for the faint of heart, pretty much. But it's also, I mean, like I said, everything makes absolute sense if you read it under a telemic lens. I'm not saying that's the only way, because it's not, because the nature of Pan is that there's not just one way to reach it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if you follow the all the hints that they found, it points to that. I mean, I guess, like I said, it points to that so beautifully that it's like, I remember like the first email that I sent to Greg, I was like, I don't know if you guys are, if, if this is scripted, if if it's scripted, I'm I love you anyway because it's it's fantastic. Like for for a connoisseur, like it's really like oh my god, this is like the telemic movie I always wanted, <laughs> and never got right. And then Greg replied and say, um, nope, uh, actually this is happening. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> like you know, it's it's uh, this is interesting, <laughs> and it's definitely happening because trust me, I, like um, at the end in like a couple of weeks, the Penny Royal podcast is coming out. And Nathan invited me as, you know, the, the magician uh, expert, if you want. Oh, you guys are in for something in that podcast. Trust me. I am so excited for it. I have it pre-saved. You, 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 will, be, you will be blown away by it. It's, first of all, I mean, I cannot stress how, how lucky I am that I ended up meeting all these amazing people. Like Nathan and Kyle are another like two fantastic like investigators and smart people and very knowledgeable people. And like they went in and they dissected like everything you see in Hellier that happens in Somerset that is hinted at, 
you will get all the answers. Like you will, it's, it's so good. And, and like I said, I cannot say more because it's only two weeks away now, like three weeks away. It's, it's coming anyway. It's so, so good. But this is also why I realized, no, this is not scripted. This goes down. This goes back, you know, decades and decades. Wow. And it's, it's incredible. You know, um, there's also something else to say, like, you know that in 2012, everybody said that the world was going to end, you know, like the Aztecs uh, yeah. uh, calendar was coming to an end. The reality there is that what did what that, that prophecy said that in 2012, you would start what's called the seven years of tribulation, whereby it would be seven difficult years, whereby at the end of it, something would happen, something big would happen, like a, a consciousness a changing event would happen. Well, we are at the end of the seventh year right now, and all this hellier thing has been happening. And another thing that's maybe it's not completely clear for those who don't really, you know, live and breathe dilemma is that the Knight of Pan is connected to the mysteries of Babylon, which is a name that maybe maybe mm-hmm. many have heard. And the mysteries of Babylon are the mysteries of the apocalypse, as in the revelation of the end of days. But not like something, oh my God, the world is over. You know, the aliens come and destroy us. No, it's about the, uh, the apocalypse, especially from a telemic perspective, is the return of the divine feminine. Yes. The, the destruction of the patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you totally. know, we are, we are right on time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I don't know. I, I have a good feeling about this. Of course, you know, comes in, um, in a month time, if Trump gets reelected, I was like, yeah, I was wrong. But <laughs> we will see. Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to see what happens with that. But, oh, man, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much today. Thank you for inviting me. This has been fantastic. And thank you for, for this podcast. I mean, honestly, I binged it. I will, I, I will keep on listening. I subscribe to the Patreon. It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> well, where can everyone find you and what are you up to on your, your Patreon? I've heard some good things. All right. So um, I have a website, marcovisconti.org, where you can find my uh, all my links. And then on patreon.com slash marcovisconti, uh, you can basically join an online magical school. That's what we've been doing. I started it um, like almost two years ago now as just, you know, just writing basically a telemic blog with some people supporting it, very scattered people. And then, of course, uh, COVID hits, and then I'm at home. I can, uh, at the point, I was jobless. So I was like, uh, okay, you know what? Let's try and do something more. And so basically, I started a magical school. Pretty much everything that I always wanted to teach at, you know, at an OTO lodge, I'm doing it online. Thankfully, we have, uh, you know, we have plenty of opportunities to, to do it now through, you know, every week I write like a magical lesson, and then we have a live stream and then I put the recording of the live stream for those who cannot you know, connect directly. And then we have magical rituals every month, uh, all online. Um, apart, well, uh, on two weeks ago, we actually, some of us met here in Glastonbury on top of the tour and we did like an invocation there. Oh, so so yeah, cool. It's, it's, it's happening. It's happening. It's fun. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just like, you know, three people away from reaching the 100 people, uh, 100 patrons milestone, which I never thought I would ever go, you know, over 20, right? And now I am, well, I mean, thanks to PhenomenaCon, that was a big boost, but then people keep joining. Um, that's great. It's Join it. Join. It's fun. We have fun. <laughs> <laughs>
We invoke angels and demons. It's fun. <laughs> well, you got me sold. I'm actually going to hop on there. I've been thinking about it for a couple of days. So, yeah, well, uh, it would be good to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you uh, would like to find me and you're listening to this, you can find me at mothmana.com. There's a digital gallery of some of my portraits as well as links to what else I'm up to. I do readings as well. And if you would like to join the hordes and support the podcast in my underworldian city, that'll be patreon.com slash mothmana. I have bonus podcast episodes. I do like energy, like various pick a card readings and a lot of other interesting things on there that I kind of throw up sometimes. It's, and it's written kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons ca- campaign. So if that, if that speaks to you, that's where I'll be. And you can also find me on Instagram at mothmana tarot. So thank you for again for being here, Marco. And this is the part of the podcast where I hit stop recording, but I keep talking to you. All right. <laughs> <laughs>